Speaking of pastoring a church, as we're looking at Titus chapter 2, I know last week we were in Titus chapter 3, and, and we backpedaled a little bit because we picked on the moms on Mother's Day, and so now we're going to pick on the guys a little bit. So ladies, you okay with that? Can I like drop the hammer on your husbands or, or today? Uh, you'll be okay with that. And you're like, oh yeah, here it comes. This is going to happen. It's happening. It's happening. Um, but uh, we did this for a reason, because when we looked at Titus, we realized it talks about women, what a godly woman looks like, and then it talks about what a godly man looks like. But women, don't check out, because these are a lot of traits in regards to what it looks like for all of us as believers to look like Jesus and to continue to look like Christ in the society that we are in. And uh, like I said, uh, speaking of pastoring, I remember this very vividly. Uh, a, a single woman one time was in the hallway of the church. And she stopped me and she said, pastor, um, and anytime somebody says pastor, I've said this before, really, it's, it's kind of important, right? Um, and, uh, and usually it's something I did wrong. So I was like bracing myself for um, what I did wrong um, because those, those are a lot. And she said, pastor, uh, why is a good man so hard to find? <laughs> and then I was waiting for her to be like, can you help me find a godly man? And I'm like, oh my word. And I started thinking about her words and it's true. It is it's hard to find a good man. But I take her words up a step and, and up a notch. It's hard to find a godly man. It's super hard to find a godly man. To find uh, a person who loves the Lord, who passionately is persistent in, in honoring the Lord with all he thinks, says, and does, it is hard to find a godly man. And the reason some of that is because we look in the wrong places, right? Like we're searching for, for godly men and role models and like athletes and social media has this thing now called influencers, which I don't even know what those are, right? Somebody said that the other day. They said, for a profession, I'm a social media influencer. What does that even mean? He's 12. <laughs> how did you get there, right? Like, I don't, I don't get how you got there. Um, and I'm not mad. I'm jealous, to be completely transparent, all right? Um, but if, if we look at a godly man, we realize that the reason that we, we, we kind of fail to see godly men is really godly men are not in the spotlight. They're not concerned about getting um, the spotlight being placed upon them. They are what I would call quiet killers. They are men who are just consistently and constantly following and loving Jesus, serving their families, serving their friends, serving their church faithfully. It is a consistent walk with Christ that they are concerned about. In Psalm chapter 112, you don't have to go there, but it says, a man who is godly fears the Lord, delights in his commands, is gracious, compassionate, righteous, generous, exercises discretion and is unshakable in his faith because he trusts in the Lord. And guys, let me just talk to you for a second. Is that you? And then the second question on top of that is, do you want to be like that? I, I genuinely look at those things and I think that's the way that life is supposed to be lived. And Psalms isn't the only area and Titus isn't the only area that talks about this. All throughout scripture it says this is what it looks like to be godly men. This is what it looks like to honor the Lord for all of us who claim the cross of Christ. And so 
today we're going to kind of look at sound doctrine for men, but we're also going to look at sound doctrine for us. So ladies, please, please, please don't check out. There's a lot of, of solid uh, information here that needs to become application, okay? So let's look at Titus chapter 2. Verse 1, and to get a running start in Titus chapter 1, this is Paul the Apostle speaking to Titus, a pastor of a church in Crete, and giving him what he needs to be successful to love the Lord in his ministry. And he just walked through qualifications for leadership. And then he moves into men. And right before he moves into men, in verse 1 of chapter 2, chapter 2, big numbers are the chapters, smaller numbers are the verses. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now, we're taking a little bit of liberty with scripture here, but if you look at that word, you, put your name in it. As for Jordan, as for Bethany, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Well, what is sound doctrine? Like, what does he, he mean there? Well, Paul says you, and he's talking specifically to Titus, uh, which is the immediate context, and then broader than that, he talks to all of us, and that word teach is the word to say or to speak verbally. There is no such thing as lifestyle evangelism. You cannot just model Christ and be silent in your speech. You got to tell people what they're all, uh, what you're all about. Speak what accords with sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? Well, the word sound, okay, means that which is wholesome or gives health. This is where you find life to the fullest. Paul uses this word all throughout his pastoral letters. Nine times in Scripture, in the New Testament letter, Paul uses this word sound. Five times he says it in Titus, so it must be important. He's like a parent repeating himself over and over again. And he says, this sound doctrine is always in relation to personal righteousness and your spiritual well-being. Being sound is important because it's foundational to our faith, our words and our actions. When you speak which is sound or that which is sound, you are saying to Satan his lies. You are saying to the things that you are dealing with in your life that God's truth is the truth. And I will speak that in there because it proves true. So, so men and women who are here today, right? When you have an issue that's going on, this is our ability to take that which is sound, speak it into existence, to take what is unhealthy or ungodly and make it godly. And so what Paul says is you are not sound as an unbeliever. God in his word is, and because of his grace that has been given to us, you now become sound. There's no additives in your walk with Jesus. So when we talk about sound doctrine, it is that which is pure. It is the difference between a McDonald's hamburger and a real hamburger. Does that make sense? Right? So this is a life that is lived on sound doctrine, producing correct, godly behavior. Every word of God proves true. 
It's useful for teaching and training us in righteousness. It is on Christ the solid rock we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Now, the word doctrine is really interesting. Doctrine is broader than just information passed from one person to the other. Doctrine in Scripture is founded on essential theological truths that describe the message of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came, that he lived, and that he died. Doctrine is not only a reference to the historical reality of the life of Christ, but it goes deeper into what is true about God, his Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you are here this morning and you are a guest, this is your first Sunday, and you wonder what we are all about in regards to doctrine, there's a little white book in front of you, you pick that up, and you will see all of these pillars, summaries of biblical statements that we have that show us what we believe about the Bible, and more importantly, what God shows us to believe about the Bible. In the modern New Testament church, if you want to call it that, Sound doctrine, theological principles are absent. And I would be concerned with anyone who has a website that calls himself a church and is missing theological truths about who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, what the Bible is, what happens after you die, the presence of heaven, the presence of hell, all of those things. We have to have those things. It's not our opinions, right? It is the truths of God that have been given to us. It is everything. Let me put it to you a different way. Um, Go to the next slide. Jesus' death, for example, we know because of secular society is an integral historical fact, but it's not doctrine. Jesus' death for sins is doctrine. Sound doctrine, putting those two words together then, is the scriptural teachings on these theological truths. It is vital to Christianity. It is the blood that flows in the church's veins. Because our faith doesn't exist without it. Paul warned Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 or chapter 4 verse 3 that he says you need to focus on sound doctrine, sound theological teaching. Why? This is prophetical. Because a time will come when secular society will not endure sound doctrine because it contradicts their lifestyle too much. And they will want to have their ears tickled by comfortable doctrine. And so what will happen is this secular society will accumulate in piles for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires or people that will tell them simply what they want to hear. So people will run to places that makes them feel good. If you leave church, okay, today, and you feel good, it should be because of the filling of the Holy Spirit, not because you heard what you wanted to hear. We're not in the justification of your sins uh, situation, right? We are here to become more like Jesus. Starts with the gospel and God's grace continues in God's grace. Go to the next slide, uh, Joe. You will find, J. Vernon McGee says, that your hope is gonna be in Christ. You won't find any hope in the daily newspaper. Now, J. Vernon McGee wrote this a long time ago, obviously, because I don't even know what a newspaper is. Um, I'm just kidding. I know, I'm not that young. Um, Or for us in today's society, social media feeds, modern literature. He says, you look in those fields and you won't find any hope. There's no hope. 
It's dark, it's dismal. You look at this world today, my friend, the only place you find real hope is in sound doctrine. Where do you run to when somebody dies? Where do you run to when the job doesn't land? Now pause for a second in that. Because we're quick to run to sound doctrine when problems are present. But sound doctrine lands harder when you're running to doctrine in the good times. Just as much as in the hardships. So Paul always combined sound doctrine with practical living obedience. To have doctrine without practice is dead orthodoxy. To have practice without foundation of sound doctrine is just human moralism. In other words, knowing who God is and who we are and knowing God's way of salvation as taught in the Bible provides proper basis for holy living. If truths of God in regards to things like his omnipresence and his omnipotence, which just means he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, grips your life, it affects how you live. So what if you got all the stars in Awana when you were a kid? So what if you know how to memorize scripture and you can recite it with your mind, but you don't live it out with your hands and feet? This is why I'm so thankful for you as a church. You do such a good job at this. You balance the two so well. You know the truths of scripture. You live out the truths of scripture. Could we do better? Yes, we could always do better. But we look at this and we realize that the gospel has affected our life. And now we have this sound doctrine and it is important, but it's also very practical. How is it practical? Look at Titus chapter two, verse two. So now he starts to crack down on older men. And yes, I'm gonna define an older man in just a second. <clears throat> I'm not one, by the way. <laughs> um, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, and in love and in steadfastness. Now, let me just ask you a question because I know we're picking on the guys here today, but women included, is that you? Is that your life? You look like that. Like all those traits, and all those traits cannot be accomplished on your own personal works, right? Like you need some help in this regard. And, and ladies, let's affirm this. Men, we need some help, yes? That's a little calm from you ladies. That was your one chance to be like, yes, my man needs some help, right? And I remember when we did this with women, we had to constitute what an older woman was and that we did that very delicately. And so we also defined very delicately what an older man is. An older man simply means an aged man. And in Greek literature, the term was often used of men in their 50s or anyone who is 50 plus. So I just called all of you guys who are over 50 years old, old, all right? And I didn't do it, God's word did it, so deal with it, all right? You're young at heart. <laughs> now let's look at these Godly traits of older men. And let me just ask, now again, we're gonna ask all people this, okay? We're picking on the guys a little bit today, but let's ask. Sober-minded, self-controlled, put those two together. Sober-minded is the word temperate. Self-controlled is the word sensible. These words mean men, like women, should have a sound, life-giving, healthy mind. They're not impulsive, they're not given, given to substances like alcohol, things like that. And they possess the ability to curb their desires and impulses. They live an orderly life. 
knowing and implementing godly priorities, and they're devoted to them and them alone. To an older man who loves the Lord, God's word is of the most importance. Now, the last part of self-controlled, if you want to look at that, it means brakes in modern Greece, which is really interesting because they didn't have cars. They did have accords, but they didn't have cars. And the idea here is, this was the type of man who knew how to stop, when to quit, and when to say no. And those of us who are younger men, we struggle with this, don't we? Like, uh, my youngest, I, I'm, I'm worried that more is caught than taught because she doesn't know when to stop. And I wonder where she got that from. And, and I know her mother gave it to her, but <laughs> you really didn't. <clears throat> Now, now, here's the deal, okay? Because older men, can I talk to you for a minute? We as younger men who are struggling with this, we need older men who have wise, saintly, Christ-like qualities in our life. We are begging for you to model this for us. And when we look at older men who don't model these traits, it is frustrating because some of us didn't grow up with dads who modeled it well. So we need older men in the church to really step it up, like raise that bar. Because preaching, pastoral counseling, it has their roles. But let me tell you something. Real problems and pressures in society are getting resolved when men talk to men in everyday contexts. I see it happen at the Fireman's Fest. I saw it happen at funerals. I see it happen at weddings. I see it happen all the time. And I'm I'm watching guys interact. And I'm watching the younger men. And they're looking at the older men. And they're saying, do you love Jesus? Are you like this? Are you sober-minded? Are you self-controlled? Give me reasons why I should be that way. And then it continues. He says, you should be dignified. You should be worthy of respect, this reverent behavior. Paul tells Titus, the behavior of these older men isn't a gloomy killjoy. It's not the old man from up, okay? We're not looking for those godly men, right? We don't look at those, well, I guess you're gonna die. It's just the way it goes. I don't want to hang out with that guy, okay? I want somebody who's going to be positive. I don't want the old man on the front porch with a shotgun being like, those kids come by here one more time. I'm lighting them up. <laughs> kind of our neighborhood. Um, <laughs> <laughs> These are dignified men who don't laugh at things that are immoral or vulgar or sinful or ungodly. They call it what it is. We were at a restaurant one time. And uh, there was four tables there, and something was going on in one of the booths. And there was an older man there, and I could tell he wanted to say something, and I was just waiting for him to say something, and I wish he would have. I wish he would have just stood up and Clint Eastwooded him, you know? Like, hey, why don't you sit down? I love Jesus, you know, something like that. (laughs) Dignified. They've learned the value of time and the opportunity, and they find real joy and satisfaction in a relationship with the Lord. Uh, this is funny, and I'm going to pick on people. I shouldn't say names in, in church service, but Neil Andrews, you're kind of like this, man. Like, you are a very dignified person, loves Jesus, you're passionate. You get up here, you read scripture, and I think to myself, I hope I'm like that when I'm his age, right? Like, that's, that's how we want to be, and I hope you're okay with me using your name. He'll be out in the foyer to, to model <laughs> discipleship for you guys. No pressure, my friend, no pressure. Matthew Henry says it like this. He says, the age should be composed in habits and speech and behavior and dress because we're watching. You guys who are over 50, we're watching you like hawks. 
We're wondering, you go to the next slide, if you're sound in faith and in love and in steadfastness. And I'm gonna run those real quick. That by faith, I mean that you are concerned about sound biblical truths, that your actions model your internal belief. And that you love, and that word love there is the word agape, that you love based on choice, or you, you choose. You unconditionally, sacrificially love the Lord, and it shows in your life. This is not whether you feel like it or not. And older men, let me just tell you something. We, we know how many times you're in the building. We watch that. We watch when you show up and, and what, what, what you're doing. I just watch, uh, if I'm picking on Neil, I'll, I'll pick on Mark Dixon. He's out there holding babies and then he comes in and then he goes back out and holds babies and I think it's my fault because my sermon's probably a little, you know, going south, but he's good with it. <laughs> we're watching you, we're watching that, right? We're looking at that. And the word steadfastness is really interesting. A godly older man is steadfast in that faith and that love and he perseveres in it, which means he remains God-honoring regardless of if others' life is going really well or not. He's Paul that says, I've learned to be content whether I have much or I have little. Somebody said it like this. <clears throat> they said, the difficulties in our lives and the obstacles that we face give God the opportunity to show his power and his grace. That's the older man. They exhibit the ability to endure hardships, accept disappointments and failure, and to be satisfied despite the frustrated personal desire and plans. A godly older man is one who has learned to be graciously alive with difficulties that are coming from physical weaknesses and the things of this world, but are constantly turning to the power of Christ, knowing Romans 8, 28 proves true. That God is working for the good of those who love him. They constantly pull back the younger man to keep their eyes fixated on the Lord. It's Jesus in the boat saying, don't put your eyes away from me because you'll sink. Just constantly keep watch on me. All right, older men, we'll step back from you for a second because <clears throat> I think that's enough conviction for your life. And go to verse six. Likewise, which means in a similar way. Talk to those who are under 50 to be self-controlled, showing themselves in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that the opponent, the enemy, may be put to shame, the person who persecutes you, the person who gives you problems, having nothing evil to say about us. Now, as a younger man, I'm in this boat. And as a younger man, like, what do people say about us, right? I'm constantly curious about that, and I don't need to know. Somebody told me a long time ago, never read the comment section. But the comment section is so funny. But you, don't, you can't, like, you look at this, and man, it will tank you. Look at this. Here's the traits for a godly young man and for us as believers. In chapter 2, Paul tells Tim, Timothy, encourage these older and younger men. Urge them to be self-controlled. We already talked about that. Because these young Christian men lacked and were often, now let me see if this categorizes you, these younger men were often impulsive, passionate, ambitious, and sometimes arrogant. So we're going to have a club for that that's going to meet after church in the corner classroom, and it should be full. Because the older men are like, yes, that is the younger generation. You're impulsive, you're passionate, you're ambitious, and oftentimes you're pretty arrogant, right? Right? 
So in addition to self-control, these younger men are urged to show a good sense of judgment in the following things. Number one, a model of good works. In other words, it's almost like Paul knows that older men are kind of, that the arthritis is setting into their hands, they're having a hard time kind of doing things with their hands, but the younger men are still good at it. They're active and they're busy. And he says here that if you're gonna be active and busy as a young man, model externally what Christ has done internally. The word model there is a visible mark that is like an impression that is left from a hammer that, that strikes wood. You know when you've, you've, you've hammered the nail down so far and then all of a sudden the nail's all the way in the board and all of a sudden you just keep hitting it just for fun? I mean, I might be the only one in that road, but, but it, the, the hammer, the, the, the underneath the hammer, it leaves the mark, the impression on the wood, right? And so what Paul is saying here is that if your example doesn't follow biblical wisdom, then you're gonna be viewed as a hypocrite. Let me put it in a real practical context. It's when you look at somebody and go, uh, I was at church on Sunday morning and they look at you and go, you go to church? When it should be, well, that makes sense, right? It's when um, you do something and somebody says thank you and you say praise the Lord and they go, why would you say praise the Lord? Instead of looking at you and go, well, that makes sense. Hypocrisy never promotes righteousness, no matter how sound a biblical a person's teaching or counsel may be, sure, some people may accept biblical principles intellectually, but they'll see no reason for living them out if you don't model them with your own life. I talked to somebody the other day uh, about us picking up trash at the Fireman's Fest, and they said, your people just model so well what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I thought to myself, praise the Lord, Right? Because the, the worst thing they could say was looking at me and be like, your people picked up trash, but why? This person actually told me uh, our, 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 our mission, who doesn't go to our church. They're like, because we know you're all about making Christ known near and far. And I was like, what? What did you just say? And they're like, yeah, you're, we just know you're all about Jesus and the gospel. And this is coming from an unbeliever's mouth. And I thought to myself, that's awesome, right? We should be a model of good works. Now look at this. All those good works spill into integrity and dignity and sound speech when we talk. Modeling good works is a form of teaching as well as words. Older men and Titus himself and the elders were to teach people why they did what they did. And let's just ask that question. Do you do that? Do you tell people the why behind what you did? I think we have to really work on this because sometimes we think people will just come to know Jesus because we did good things. But if that's the case, people will buy into morality and not uh, the gospel. And so he says you should have integrity, be pure, dignity, honor the Lord, and be sound and be life-giving. John MacArthur says it like this. He says the issue here is a conversation and day-to-day speech whether we're formally teaching, having informal conversations, our speech is to be sound and healthy and edifying and life-giving. It is to be appropriate and above reproach. The mark of, I would say, anybody who claims the gospel of Jesus Christ is to speak only that which is well thought out and not which is disgraceful. 
In other words, it's when we go to bed at night and we wake up the next day and we have no regrets about what happened the day prior. It's when we get up in the morning and we say, nothing I did yesterday hindered the gospel of Jesus Christ. Men, just me to you, can we do that? Like this morning, can, can we say, I want to go to bed tonight and get up tomorrow and have no regrets because everything I did in deed and in words pointed back to the gospel. Uh, Dennis DeHand said, how easy it is for all of us to use so many words and give so little thought to the things that we say. So he says, let's willingly yield our lips to the Lord and our hearts will be blessed by them daily. Now, Paul's concerned, and I, I hear his pastor's heart here. He is concerned for Titus. He is concerned for the believers. Because look at that very last uh, verse in, um, excuse me, verse 8. Here's the problem. Sound speech that cannot be condemned because he knows as as believers start to populate and people come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, that there'll be false teachers and people who will persecute people who look like Jesus. And so he says, I am concerned that people would be able to put you to shame when they persecute you for your faith. And Paul's bigger concern is that they have ammunition because of what these young and older men are doing. Does that make sense? So Paul's like big radical concern is that nobody should have any ammunition for somebody who attacks you for the gospel. In other words, it's when somebody who is not a believer defends you. So we'll go back to the Fireman's Fest last week. People said, I think that's great. I think that's awesome. I think you should do that every single year. And we're like, okay, yeah, like that makes sense. But do you know why that we do this? And then somebody else says, I don't think it's fair. I think there should be other people that should, should, should do that. You should rotate the churches in the community. Well, guess what? Come on back. Like, that's fine. And then people look at it and go, don't, don't, don't attack them. Let them do it. They're picking up trash. Good grief. Let them have at it, right? If you have things, if, if, if you have nothing in your life that gives somebody ammunition, watch unbelievers back you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that don't even believe in it. And Paul wants them not to be embarrassed by having this relationship with Jesus. He wants them to be encouraged. A wise old man said, a believer's personality is hidden deep inside them. I wish it would come out more often. He said, it's unseen. It's like soup being carried in a high bowl over a waiter's head. And no one knows what's inside unless the waiter gets bumped and he trips. And his prayer for the church was that we get bumped a few more times. And so that we could really see what comes out. And we could see if Christ is living in us and what spills out from us is the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul would say this to Titus. He would say, tell your people this. Tell your people to live this way because it honors the Lord and they'll find true life in these practices. Gentlemen, print these verses out, put them on your bathroom mirror and pray through them every single morning and watch your life change. <clears throat> Let me pray for you that all of us would do that. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that you have laid out so clearly 
We, we, we go back to Mother's Day and we remember that message and, and here we are at Father's Day and we realize you have divinely instituted roles and responsibilities in the home, in our marriages, in our church, and in our community. And that you have given us the ability to function in these roles and, and we have opportunity and responsibility there. And we would ask that the word of God is like a, is like a light that pierces the darkness. And we would ask that you would help us, especially us, uh, us men, to develop a Christ-honoring attitude in all that we think, say, and do. And that that Christ-honoring attitude would not just be here in this gathering on Sunday. But it would happen in, in our homes, and it would happen in our workplaces, and it would happen in our neighborhoods that we look like Jesus. And God, I just ask you for your forgiveness for the times that I have fallen short of this standard that you have set. We apologize as a body of believers for the times that we have given in to coarse joking and we've given in to practices that are not God-honoring, that are not of you. We thank you for your grace and the fact that you teach us that we can try again. And you laid out in this little book of Titus all these instructions on that we can live righteously because of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, maybe your dad just wasn't a great dad. Maybe you never had it modeled by an older man of what it looks like to follow Jesus where our earthly fathers fall short, our heavenly father never does. And you can look to the creator of the universe and you have the opportunity to speak to him and to say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I know I fall short. And I ask that you would allow me to come into a relationship with you. See him as that wonderful, life-giving Father who loves you, who says that you are accepted in the Beloved. If you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus this morning, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that his blood covers your sin, and the Bible says you are in a relationship with God, you are saved because of the grace of God, and you have the opportunity now to grow in that grace. And so, God, we pray as believers that we take these words to heart and we're aware of the grace that has been given to us and we strive to apply these life-giving principles and truths so that we may live in a way that honors you. My prayer for your church here at Community Gospel, as well for the church that is gathering around the world, is that we would remain grounded in sound doctrine. And we ask you that you would guide us into this truth and correct us in our errors and help us when we correct others as well. We pray that we might become living testimonies of your goodness and of your grace and that would you, you would use us to live a life that is beyond reproach. May the world that is outside of these walls find nothing against us and have no ammunition against us because we look like Jesus. May we be living testimonies to your wisdom and your grace. We ask these things 
In Jesus' name. And all God's people said.